0: Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast, our weekly live Dhamma broadcast, talking about the teaching of the Buddha, answering questions about the meditation teachings of the Buddha. So firstly, I will be talking a little bit about the topic of the Buddhist teaching. And in the meantime, you're welcome to post your questions in the chat. Uh, there won't be any video for this session, as usual.
1: So if you don't have any questions, you're welcome just to close your
0: eyes. Meditate. Be mindful with us. And after I've talked a little bit, then with the help of our
1: volunteers, Chris, Ulu, Rahid,
0: we will organize and present questions and answer them. So the topic for today, topic of the first part, is freedom. Freedom plays an important part in Buddhism, to say the least. It's the goal of Buddhism, a certain type of freedom, anyway. And by certain type, I just mean that
1: our ideas, our various ideas of freedom often fall short. So the type of freedom that in Buddhism
0: is not just some specific freedom, it's complete freedom. The highest sort of freedom. Freedom in an ultimate sense, on an ultimate level. But we have to explain what we mean by freedom because, as I said, misunderstanding and
1: limited ideas of freedom, problematic ideas of freedom exist. The first and I think most potentially problematic idea of concept of freedom is
0: surrounding the idea of freedom to
1: To some extent, freedom, too, does have an important place in Buddhism. As long as we understand exactly what we mean by freedom, too. So it is the case that certain
0: spiritual or religious traditions will circumscribe what one has the freedom to do maybe saying certain things are impossible, but
1: often saying they're not allowed. And that isn't really the case in Buddhism. So when people hear about the five precepts or the eight precepts, they think of these as things that aren't allowed in Buddhism, like you're going to be kicked out of some elite club or something.
0: But to some extent in Buddhism there is freedom to do whatever you want.
1: And the Buddha Buddha seems to have been less interested in forbidding people to do things than he was in simply letting them know what the consequences of their actions were when you understand the truth, you don't have to talk about what is allowed and what is not allowed. You talk instead about what is beneficial and what is harmful. And what are the consequences of our actions. Because that's what truly circumscribes our freedom to do.
0: We have freedom, perfect freedom to do, to say, to think what we like. circumscribed only by the consequences. I suppose that's not even fair. Not just circumscribed by the consequences, uh, but circumscribed
1: by the consequences in terms of what is allowed. So anything is allowed. It's not that things are not allowed. It's that they will have negative or positive consequences. So it's one of the most basic teachings in Buddhism about cause and effect, karma, that our actions have consequences. When we act or speak or think,
0: even think with an impure mind, an impure heart, suffering follows. When we act or speak or think with a pure
1: heart, and in fact, doesn't matter so much what we do as how we do it. And if our mind is pure, happiness follows us.
0: But the other thing that circumscribes our ability to, our freedom to, is the fact that our capacities are also circumscribed by causes.
1: We need to have the requisite causes in order to do certain things. So people often get angry when their freedoms are
0: arrogated, abrogated, whatever the word is. Freedoms are circumscribed or limited. Because they don't understand the nature, uh, that the nature of reality is always
1: going to circumscribe even our ability to think. We can't even remember the things we want to remember and we become frustrated because of our idea that we should be able to do whatever we want. We become intoxicated with freedom to. And we don't really have freedom to do, say or think whatever we want.
0: It's it's circumscribed again by our condition. People can be frustrated because of physical condition,
1: frustrated because of external conditions, people who are imprisoned or uh, controlled, manipulated by others, often frustrated by their inability, feeling like they have a right to do things that they're not allowed, they're not being allowed to do. We
0: often feel like our rights are being infringed upon. But it is important to understand that we do
1: have freedom to do things if something is a possibility. There's no God that's going to stop us. Nothing's going to potentially tell us what to do. And if you hear a person or a voice or an instinct tell you to do something, it's not necessarily going to be for the right reason. And so rather than focus on freedom too, Buddhism focuses much more on what the consequences of our actions might be. And before we do something, we consider the consequences. We're not concerned with our freedom. We have a sense of freedom in the sense that we're not worried about what God thinks. We were talking this morning about God, and someone asked the question, you know, potentially it seems like, even from a Buddhist perspective, God might punish us if we do the wrong thing. And I agree, that's certainly possible many of the gods or angels even, but humans do that as well. Our parents punish us. Our parents might punish us for something that's not even at fault. Gods do the same. If you listen to the history of Greek mythology, I think Greek mythology is a lot more honest than some other mythologies because the gods don't seem to be all that bright,
0: punishing humans for things they didn't deserve punishment for and so on. So we acknowledge the fact that uh, the, the punishment of God or the punishment of humans doesn't really matter.
1: But it becomes a part of the consequences. And we acknowledge that
0: if we do certain things, there might be consequences to our actions. Sorry, just give me a second. buddhism is much more as you can probably guess interested in freedom from freedom too is fraught with all sorts of problems most especially our our
1: our defilements the the causes of things that we do and say and think why we do
0: So it's not, can we, but should we? And the the question is asked because it concerns suffering,
1: which we want to be free from. And so Buddhism is much more concerned with this question. How can we act and speak and think in such a way as to be free from suffering or become free from suffering? free ourselves from suffering there's other things we might want to be free from but they generally relate to our desire to have freedom to do things we might want to be free from persecution free from prison free from external uh, undesirable experiences freedom from loud noises, freedom from unpleasant sights and sounds and
0: smells and tastes and feelings. I want to be free from all these things, but ultimately our desire to be free from these things doesn't free us from
1: suffering. It binds us up with suffering. So even freedom from we have to understand properly if your desire is to be free from pain, you're only going to get yourself caught up in a a game of cat and mouse where you're constantly running away from suffering. Constantly running away from, not suffering, but running away from those experiences that you, you dislike. And so you actually can't, you aren't running away from suffering because that's not your focus. Your focus is on a thing that you perceive as being unpleasant and so it causes you
0: suffering and running away from it doesn't help that. It only increases the suffering. So freedom from in Buddhism focuses on freedom from suffering which doesn't mean freedom from things we don't like. Freedom from things we don't like just brings more suffering. As to freedom from suffering, we can think of well different three different ways, let's say, of being free from suffering. The first is this running away from things that cause us suffering, that, as I said, doesn't work doesn't work because causes and conditions bring
1: those experiences and we aren't in control of the causes and conditions of the universe. And not only that, our simple aversion, our desire to avoid, to run away from unpleasant experiences, increases, as I said, our our suffering, the potential suffering when it returns. And further, it creates stress just running away from it, just being afraid of it coming back, the, even the threat of unpleasant experiences coming back causes stress and worry and fear and suffering so it, even even in the absence of that which is displeasing we are we are upset
0: we suffer but as to actual freedom there are many religious and spiritual traditions that offer freedom from suffering on a limited scale. Usually limited in on a temporal
1: scale in the sense of being temporary. A lot of meditative traditions offer freedom from suffering. Freedom from suffering through cultivation of concentration.
0: freedom from suffering, from actually being able to seclude oneself from unpleasantness.
1: And even seclude oneself to some extent from pleasantness. Though it can be quite pleasant to practice tranquility meditation sensual pleasures of all kinds are abandoned as well, and that's a part of the appeal. It's a part of the goodness and the wholesomeness of it. And there's nothing wrong with this kind of freedom. There's nothing unwholesome about it, nothing sinister or twisted or perverted or anything. And it's unadulterated. A person in such a state has a pure mind, a pure mind that can be of great benefit to them. So these are the sort of meditative traditions that offer the enticement of
0: you know, magical powers, visions, premonitions, past life memories, all sorts of exciting things, po- a positive things. But of course,
1: none of this reaches the ultimate state of freedom from suffering because all of these states are temporary. And they're temporary because they have no connection with the causes of suffering. They have no connection with the delusion that triggers suffering. The reason for suffering is that we react to unpleasant experiences. So simply removing ourselves from the potential for unpleasantness to arise through tranquility, through absorption, through trance or transcendental meditations doesn't solve the problem. It's inferior to a type of meditation that allows us to see, understand, and abandon our delusion, our misunderstanding, and our reactions that are ultimately futile and useless and harmful.
0: And that's what mindfulness offers. So the greatest type of freedom starts with the
1: practice of mindfulness. When you practice mindfulness, even temporarily, you have this incredible power that is unique in that it allows you to experience those things that we're so afraid of experiencing that we are normally averse to and uh, reactionary towards to experience them without any
0: reaction, without any stress or suffering or aversion or attraction, right, addiction. When we're mindful, we're retraining our minds.
1: We're training our minds in two ways. One, by reminding ourselves. When you say to yourself, pain, pain, you're reminding yourself this is pain. And then, and second, As you do that, because of the clarity involved, because of the reminder, the mind has a a rectitude uh, about it, a straightness, a clarity. So it understands and sees, and because it sees clearly, it gains a better perspective
0: on the things that we cling to, a perspective that... sees through the attraction and the repulsion of objects,
1: seeing that there's nothing attractive or repulsive about experience, seeing
0: experience as simply what it is, without any baggage, without any attachment. And these
1: two sorts of freedoms carry on throughout our practice, the freedom that comes from the strength of mind, the reminder, and the freedom that comes from the understanding that comes thereby. And these carry on together, strengthening the mind, and
0: purifying the mind, and clarifying our understanding. Until finally the mind having seen clearly or seeing perfectly clearly, let's go. Let's go and becomes truly free, not only
1: from uh, our attachment and reaction, but from the objects that we attach to. Free in the sense of not needing them, being independent of
0: them, not relying or depending or, or seeking them out. And and a person who arrives at this state experiences cessation, true cessation of suffering, or freedom from suffering. Such a person continues to live their life,
1: but as a result of that experience, as a result of that letting go,
0: they're able to understand and see the objects of the sense just simply as they are without any need for any type of escape such a person doesn't give rise to future karma clinging
1: addiction attachment and so they slowly unravel and do away with all of their old attachments until finally, they free themselves
0: completely. Till finally, they let go completely. And they escape from all suffering. So some brief thoughts on freedom. I think I'll stop there and segue into
1: our question and answer period have questions about freedom questions about meditation please ask them starting now Uh, any other chat in the chat box will be deleted without prejudice generally unless it's awful or terrible but we just at this point want to keep it clean and focused only on questions if you don't have questions just close your eyes
0: and be mindful with us Let's begin. I've started to feel low energy and tired
2: often. It disrupts my meditation because I feel like I can't hang on and meditate for long. Shall I simply note it or do anything else?
0: Note it, but also note anything else. There's often things that we're missing. Uh, Try and note...
1: When you feel low energy, is it on the rising or the falling or that sort of thing? And have a sense of what's going on because there's often, there has to be other things involved with the feelings of low energy. And a part of the solution is realizing that the low energy is not always there because when you say, I started to feel low energy and tired often, you're giving your mind a sense that this is a constant state. And seeing that it's actually not, that it's actually like everything else, arising and ceasing, coming and going,
0: is an important part of letting go. That will be an important part of finding freedom from it. When should one note stressed? Isn't that quite a broad and complex word? Shouldn't it be used mostly as a catch-all? when you can't think of a more precise word? I suppose. But stressed is fairly specific. When
1: you feel stressed, you feel stressed. It's kind of like worried, but you might recognize it more as stressed. More precisely, there's probably worry and disliking and that sort of thing. But stressed is
0: pretty specific, I think. I wouldn't... I not worry too much about that. If a feeling mutates slightly, should I start a new noting,
2: maybe knowing, or should I keep noting it the same in the interest of simplicity? I don't yeah, think...
0: Mm, sorry. Mm,
2: I don't think I'm very advanced, so maybe the latter?
1: And knowing knowing when something changes saying knowing is useful because it's important to be clear about the fact that things change there's really no hard and fast rules it sounds like you've got a good grasp of what you should be doing don't don't doubt yourself too much just pick one because another thing is that you'll start to learn what works and what's useful and what's perhaps sometimes perhaps um over-ambitious or overthinking or,
0: uh, sometimes we Overplan our practice. You don't have to do that. Just try and take it as it comes How can we not force equanimity in our noting of objects? I feel like I
2: almost always tend to try to note things calmly instead of just noting them without any manipulation in my noting.
1: Well, note that feeling. See, how can we not force is one of these funny questions that people ask, because you're asking how you can force yourself not to force, basically. And that's, of course, not the way to stop forcing. The only real way to stop forcing is to just be aware that you're forcing and allow your mind to see the stress that comes from forcing. So if it feels like you're forcing, then there's a feeling, and you should note that.
0: And if you're frustrated or dislike it, note that as well, and so on.
1: I've noticed If you want,
0: sorry, just one last thing. If you want to be calm, you can note that, wanting. If you don't like the fact when you're not calm, note that as well. I've sometimes noticed, I noticed I sometimes feel peace, calm,
2: or otherwise the absence of stress after noting something. Should I note the feeling every time, or just go back to the rising and falling?
0: Yeah, I would note the calm, and if you like it, you can note that as well. There's no hard and fast rule there so i
1: all. Just try and keep in mind that you want to go back to the stomach as soon as. You've worked
0: it all out. Don't just keep jumping from one thing to another, that's all. Does thinking have to be clear lines of thought and seemingly deliberate?
2: Or can it be vaguely reflecting things? Or sort of daydreaming, remembering, imagining scenarios, etc.?
1: Yeah, all that can be thinking. You can also note reflecting, daydreaming, remembering, imagining... Just be sure you're, you're noting the actual experience rather than the object of the experience. Like you wouldn't
0: note scenarios, scenarios, that sort of thing, right? Under what circumstances is it beneficial to change the meditation posture, apart from switching from walking to sitting halfway through a session? So it would be beneficial if you're stuck, I think. I mean, some of the reasons why it would be beneficial is if the posture is creating
1: lethargy or distraction. So if walking makes you restless, you might sit. If sitting makes you tired, you might stand up or walk. If there's some condition that's just overwhelming you, changing postures can help but you you shouldn't you shouldn't use changing postures as a long-term solution it shouldn't be that you get into the habit of switching it's generally more beneficial not to switch your posture and you should have that attitude only switching when it just seems it's you're kind of stuck and you've got to take a temporary solution of switching postures because often that can be the better solution it's not that it's it's, a, it's not like you're giving up or something. It can fix certain problems. It just shouldn't be something you tend to come to rely
0: on. That's all. After much
2: meditation, there has come calmness, but also loss in interest
0: or desire for life. Everything in life just is. Should there be concern? So in meditation, in mindfulness, we don't talk about should.
1: If there is concern, you should. You should note concern, concern. That's the only should. Uh, If you feel calm, you should note
0: calm, calm. If you want to desire or you're worried that you don't desire, you should note that. I hope that, that doesn't really answer your question, but I hope it kind of does. When I become conscious of breathing, my whole body becomes stressed.
2: Then I note stress. Three years later, and the mind still tries to
0: control the experience. Am I doing something wrong? Well, yes, you are doing something wrong, but seeing it is important. And I'm not sure how
1: dedicated you are to the practice, but by seeing it, eventually your mind will let go of that. Now, you might have to be noting some things you aren't noting. Try and be aware of all the hindrances, liking, disliking, or wanting and disliking, that sort of thing. Drowsiness, distraction, doubt, worry. Make sure you're noting all the experiences. I don't know if you've done our at-home course, but that might be helpful. But, you know, the fact that you're doing it wrong, if, if you are seeing progress, and, you know, that's the whole reason why we're practicing, is because we're doing it wrong. And we keep doing it wrong until we see that what we're doing wrong is wrong. And we
0: change it. I mean, it changes naturally. I've been meditating for about a year, and I'm currently experiencing pressure,
2: heat, and movement in my brain, as if my brain is moving.
0: I've been noting it as feeling as I feel the sensation. Is this normal?" So, like should, we're not concerned with normal. Normal won't be your experience.
1: You'll have a lot of strange experiences, and that's fine. Or you might have strange experiences. The idea of having strange experiences is seeing impermanence. It's a part of the broadening of your horizons of seeing you can't expect things you you can't rely on your expectations of how things should be or what is normal or so on people this sort of question is asked because you're worried about that, but we're always worried about change we're 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 afraid of things that we don't understand and so on um, in mindfulness we're we're moving purposefully towards
0: freeing ourselves from this fear and worry and so on
1: so yes when you have a feeling just note it as feeling and try to understand that this is
0: a part of the impermanence the unpredictability of things I understand that the three marks
2: of existence reveal themselves through meditation, but I find myself reflecting on experiences outside of formal meditation by analyzing these aspects. Is it useful?
1: Sure, it's practically useful. Just don't mistake it for insight into the three characteristics. Extrapolating on them intellectually is very practically useful because it's in line with the truth. So if you catch yourself acting in such a way that goes against them you can remind yourself no no this is against the nature of things
0: start to act as though things were stable or satisfying or controllable you can catch yourself sometimes the hindrances are stronger in my meditation than
2: in other times how do I encourage myself when my meditation feels less effective because of this?
1: Well, the best way is to just note that you're discouraged. There are ways to encourage yourself. Chanting helps, from re- reflecting on the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, that sort of thing. Associating with good people, that sort of thing. Listening to Dhamma talks can all help to encourage you. But ultimately, just note that you're discouraged rather than trying
0: to encourage yourself. Note the fact that you're discouraged. Stay with what's real. That will help to work out the hindrances. When I try to do some deep meditation, it always feels like I'm leaning to one side, and then I have to stop because it frustrates me. How do I correct this? Hmm. Well, you don't have to stop because it frustrates you. You can just say frustrated, frustrated. Instead, rather than trying to correct it, just, well, what you would do is, you know, lean
1: back, right? You say something like wanting to move and moving. You don't have to stop. I mean, if you don't, if you aren't actually leaning to one side and it just feels
0: like it, then you can just note feeling, feeling. And of course, when you're frustrated, note frustrated, frustrated. Do you have specific advice to
2: improve the five important faculties beneficial for spiritual development?
0: I sometimes get frustrated when I can't concentrate for multiple sessions. Well, frustration is going to get in the way of developing the five five faculties, so
1: when you get frustrated, make sure you're saying frustrated, frustrated. But um, our booklet goes over some of the ways you should understand the five faculties. Basically, you balance them. I don't know If you've read our booklet on how to meditate, you might do that. If you're interested, you can take a meditation course. It's all free, so sign up if you like. But basically, you're trying to balance uh, effort with concentration and wisdom with fit confidence. And basically, the way you do that is by using mindfulness to recognize When there's an imbalance, when there's a hindrance that arises from the
0: imbalance, and it'll balance them out naturally. Once they're balanced, then they can mature. I have not taken the at
2: home course because I cannot commit to two hours a day of meditation due to work and family obligations. Are there other ways I can improve my
0: meditation apart from a retreat? Well, you can just do some meditation.
1: If you're doing meditation, that's a progress. I mean, I would try, if you can, the the at-home course you start with one hour a day, and the goal is by the end we have maybe two weeks or three weeks where you should be up to two hours a day. So I would encourage you to try to find that time for three weeks,
0: two or three weeks. And the rest of the time you're doing at least an hour a day. There are 24 hours in a day. Maybe don't sleep so much, I don't know. How do you gauge progress during meditation?
1: Well, ultimately you gauge it in the long term by a a, uh, reduction in greed, anger, and delusion. These three things. But in the short term, I don't recommend people to gauge their progress because progress is not a straight line. It goes in loops, more like like things will come back that you thought you dealt with. And they're going to keep coming back. And you'll do make some progress and things are getting better and suddenly there's a relapse. And that's because it's complicated. We're We go in loops. Progress is kind of like that. So it's easy to get discouraged if you focus on your progress. What you should be focused on is the quality of your practice, the quality of your your state of mind, your experience. And if you're focused on that, you can be encouraged because of that. You don't have to be encouraged because of any progress you're making in the short term. Be encouraged
0: by the quality, the purity of your mind that comes from being mindful. Is the highest sense of freedom the only real victory? I mean, it's the only important victory. There are other victories you might say are real victories, but they're generally not very important. I am an atheist, but I have a real draw to the monk
2: lifestyle. Do you think there would be any way for someone in a temple as an atheist?
1: No. No, you know why? Because a temple is a place of a worship of a deity. So I wouldn't say there's any room in a temple. Fortunately, there are no temples in Buddhism. There are only monasteries. They call them temples, but it's, I think, incorrect. I mean, I don't know, temple is just a word, but it seems incorrect to me. Uh, We're all atheists here. I'm an atheist. There's no room for a theist in Buddhist monasteries.
0: So, welcome. If you're an atheist, welcome. Theism is not welcome in Buddhism. Is it worthwhile for Theravada Buddhists to study suttas from other
2: traditions, such as Mahayana?
1: I don't think so. Personally, I don't think it is. Only because this maybe some, but I can't think of any. Um the ones that I've read are, in my opinion, unhelpful. But you know, you asked me the question, this is my answer. Some other people might have other answers. And as I said, there may be. I mean I think some works don't go too much into probably modern works don't go too much into the controversial theories and they might just talk about so they're Mahayana teachers who might talk about very good things, you know, how to be a good person. But um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any interest in them personally. Um but like Like Pema Chodron, for example, is a Tibetan nun who I listened to one of her talks and it was really good, you know. She taught meditation and it sounded really good. So, it was breath meditation. Okay, that sounds reasonable, what she's saying. So there you go. She's Mahayana. Or Vajrayana, I guess they call themselves. Not Theravada, anyway. Uh, and like Thich Nhat Hanh, a lot of the things he says, I mean, a lot of them I think are a little bit too sensual, but some of the things he says I think are pretty powerful. So, so I mean, that's not what your question. Your question was about the suttas. I have problems with many of the suttas because they're much more um, doctrinal
0: and the doctrine that they espouse, in my mind, is not kosher. But I haven't read all the The
1: Mahayana suttas, some of the later suttas are pretty awful, like they just get into appeasing kings and stuff, like how to do rituals and so on
0: but some of the earlier Mahayana suttas I think are, I don't know some of them might even be kosher Is it a good idea to alternate between objects during meditation, sometimes using the breath as an object, sometimes using a mantra? I can't really answer that. I'll give you my meditation tradition,
1: and we always use the mantra, but it's on the, not exactly the breath, but it's on the movement that is caused by the breath as a basic object. So I don't know if you've read our booklet, but that's really the only answer I can give. That's what I think is a good idea to do. If you want to try our way, you can read our booklet. You might even consider trying the at-home course. There are links in
0: the description to the video, I think. Is noting feelings considered mantra? I consider it to be a
1: mantra. Some people have taken issue with the fact that I use the word mantra to describe what we do because people think of mantra as something mindless, but I don't think mantra meditation is ever mindless. It's always focused on an object of some sort, even if it's just the sound of the mantra. Some mantras are like that, but a mantra is a word that you repeat to yourself for the purpose of focusing your attention, and I think that's accurate an accurate description of what we do. Sometimes it's meant to evoke certain feelings. For us, it's meant to evoke mindfulness, or re- remembrance, or recognition of things as they are. So I consider it to be a mantra. So I find it also useful to talk like that because it's a way of of understanding that is more um, easily palatable for people than this foreign idea of noting and repeating and so on. You know, mantra meditation is is familiar and it should be familiar and should be familiar because it's ancient. And this isn't a de- deviation from ancient practices. This is a continuation of ancient practices. Often what we practice is looked at as a deviation from ancient practices and something new and sort of the way they do it in Burma or something, which is ridiculous because the only reason they do it in Burma is because they cleave very closely. They they
0: cleave? They They stick very closely to the Old texts that talk about using a mantra. I get bored very quickly when I meditate and want to quit. Any advice? Well, not bored, bored don't know if you've read our booklet but
1: maybe it will help you could take the at-home course maybe that would help but most important is that you're noting bored bored because that's a big reason why you would practice mindfulness is to free yourself from the boredom by becoming more familiar with it and with the things that make you bored and working working out why you're triggered in that way and releasing yourself from that trigger because the things that bore you are not actually boring. There's nothing boring about anything, we just react unwarranted. We get bored
0: without any valid reason for getting bored. Will one feel the pressure of wanting to be free from defilements until they become an R-hunt?
1: well certainly once one becomes an arahant there will be no pressure of wanting to be free from defilements but no i don't think it's fair to say that everyone else feels the pressure of wanting to be free from defilements some people are complacent meditators even become complacent and anagami can even become complacent so you won't always feel the pressure but the potential for feeling the pressure will always be there but for someone who has wrong view and so on they might never feel of
0: wanting to be free. They might even be very keen on keeping their defilements. How can we deal with regretting our choices and views, specifically ones made after
2: discovering the peace of mindfulness? It seems to make it harder to accept mistakes
0: after we really know better. Mm-hmm. Well, deal with your reactions to understanding that you've made a mistake. See, as, you,
1: as you notice, mindfulness makes you more aware of your mistakes, but it doesn't force you to be upset about them, be angry or frustrated or hate yourself because of them. That's on us. So we should use mindfulness to work through that habit as well. But, you know, it can be a very deep habit, so don't be discouraged by it. Just try to be mindful of it as well when you're
0: angry or frustrated because of mistakes you made feeling guilty or whatever just make sure you're mindful of that as well once in a deep state of meditation i envisioned Avalokiteshvara
2: coming out of my third eye was this a real occurrence or just thought
1: So even if God himself or herself comes down and stands in front of you and says, I am God, it it doesn't matter. The, The question of whether it really is God or isn't really God or is just your imagination isn't important from the perspective of mindfulness. I mean, it's pretty important practically. If that actually happened, you'd have to rethink your whole religious outlook potentially to some extent but one thing we were talking about this morning is that even if we acknowledge that god exists and that god punishes you even if we were to appreciate that god was going to punish you and find ways to make you suffer it still wouldn't mean he or she was right in doing that right just because even if god did and this i don't think has anything to do with reality but even if god did have the power to send you to hell well that would be his problem not yours it wouldn't say anything about you. It would say much more about him or her. God sent me to hell. God punished me on earth. Well, this God person doesn't sound very good after all. That's what you should be thinking, anyway. That we were ta- This is what we were talking about this morning. But the 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 point was that from a point of view of mindfulness, it it has no impact whether something is quote unquote real or not real, because the knowledge of whether something is real or more real than something else isn't actually a part of experience, and this is what again I come back to Descartes. What what he came up he came to was when he realized that there's nothing else you can uh, you can know nothing you can know for sure except the fact that you're experiencing, which I think was rather insightful, uh, and give him credit for that. But, of course, was something that the Buddha discovered and, and actually put to much better use in terms of using that framework to free himself from suffering, to gain right insight and wisdom. So when you see, because that's actually what you should say, rather than envision, you see Avalokiteshvara. you didn't envision. It wasn't you that envisioned, the vision came to you. And when that happens you should note seeing, seeing. You should also not identify it as the third eye because that's just a concept. You're 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 conceiving in regards to this thing you said you see. You see something and you think, I envision this, I created this, and you think of it as coming out of your third eye when actually it's just an experience of seeing that's triggered in the brain. Um and that seeing is a real occurrence, and you should just say seeing, seeing, because that's all it is, is seeing. Even if it were really avalokiteshvara standing in front of you, you would say seeing, seeing, and that would be being mindful. You wouldn't be concerned with whether it was really
0: something there, or just or a hallucination, whatever. Are there effective techniques to help you through
2: meditation when it becomes agony?
1: Yeah, that's an example of where you might change your posture. If you're walking, do sitting. If you're sitting, do walking or standing. Or either way, just switch to standing, lying. If it's really a real agony, do lying meditation. Um, but uh, uh, in addition to that, uh, the the well, the practice is to be mindful of it. And agony isn't actually categorically um, impossible to meditate on. It's not a absolute blocker of meditation. You can be mindful of agony. I mean, agony is kind of just a descriptive, description of it. The actual experience would be pain if it's physical or
0: sadness or anger or frustration or fear if it's mental, that sort of thing. How can mindfulness help in clinging to being disappointed in ourselves? Is this the ego? And can we do anything for this in our meditation? So, mindfulness helps you see.
1: And we, I think, underestimate the power of. Seeing, the power of seeing clearly. And because we underestimate, we look for a better solution, a more efficacious solution, a more effective solution. And it's by looking for that more effective solution that we cause stress and suffering because we're looking for a fix, we're trying to change and control. But by staying with the seeing and seeing that you're clinging, seeing that you're disappointed, When you stay with that, you free yourself from that need to control, that need to fix. And you free yourself from self and the idea that it's me or mine because of the way you're perceiving things as just experiences. And so disappointment in self disappears. It's weakened
0: and it just disappears. There's no room for it when your mind is focused on things as they are. Is it true that you need to aspire to
2: attain Nibbāna for the path factors to arise?
1: Not really. All that's true is you need to have the requisite clarity of mind for the path factors to arise. And the clarity of mind comes from being mindful. Of course, why you're being mindful generally, I think, has something to do with aspiring to attain Nibbāna, but it, it shouldn't be understood in those exact terms. It's, it's not a cute catchphrase. Nibbana isn't some entity. Nirvana literally means the extinguishing, so the, the freedom from suffering. So you, your your mindfulness related to should relate to wanting to be free from suffering. It should relate to a, a keen inclination towards
0: uh, freedom independence Is psychiatric medication a hindrance to
2: meditation? I think you said antidepressants are, but are antipsychotic
1: also because
2: they are just normalizing and don't alter your brain?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I would I would I would cast doubt upon that. Because I don't know what it means to say it's normalizing, and i don't I'm not confident that scientists who say it's that actually know that it's that as well. It's repressive, I think, which ultimately isn't i mean it temporarily helpful, but not in an ultimate sense. I don't know enough about psychotic conditions. I think there are cases where the brain is just uh, wired perhaps in a Harmful way that makes it hard for one to um, to function and
0: and because you know triggering confusing states, but
1: my suspicion is that a lot of what we call psychosis is still reaction. And that the only way to work out that reaction or the reactivity is by practicing meditation. Uh, may, sorry, is by facing it with mindfulness. And you can't do that if you're repressing it. I'm not. I, I'm not. I wouldn't. I don't believe the idea that it's just normalizing and doesn't affect the brain. That, that my sense is that it's repressive, and because it's repressing it, it doesn't allow you to fully... It gives you a hard time in trying to fully appreciate the experiences. And moreover, its whole purpose is in avoiding the experiences, which is antithetical to mindfulness practice. So I'm not saying people should go off their antipsychotic medication. I just think, yes, uh, in general, I can't think of any psychiatric medication that is helpful because... It generally, I mean, mostly because it generally is is intended to avoid, which uh, is problematic. I mean, I think someone on anti or on some psychiatric medication can practice mindfulness. I just don't think it will be that effective because they're also trying
0: to avoid the experiences. Dante, we've crossed the hour.
2: There's one more question sorted into tier one. Do you have time to answer one more? Yeah, for sure. After many meditations, how long can I experience the silent mind
0: free of mental noise or the gap in mindfulness? I don't know why you would want to...
1: It sounds like that's something you want to experience, but that's not what we're aiming for. We want to try and be mindful. So when you feel silent, we would have you note silent, silent, or quiet, quiet
0: until it goes away, until it changes. Okay, Banta, that concludes the questions for today. Okay, thank you all. Good group. Sadhu. Thank you for all your help, Chris, Ulu, and Rahid. Have a good week, everyone.